Please take your Bible, if you haven't already, and turn to Jude. We are finishing this series today. And, uh, of course, as it was said earlier, we're going to start in Acts next week. As we think about the closing of Jude, I think it's important also to go back to the beginning and remember why Jude, the half-brother of Jesus, wrote this epistle. There is a time coming, and we'll see it in the book of Acts, when the church is going to explode. It's going to take off. It's the beginning point of the church. And the church grows rapidly. It goes from 120 people to over 25,000 people in a very uh, short amount of time. And in that, we are seeing uh, the church not only explode in their joint sessions at Solomon's Colonnade, but we also see the church gathering in homes every single week, and many are being saved, the Scripture says. This is really the, the pinnacle of the church, its beginning point. The Holy Spirit has come. He has filled the hearts of believers. They are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with as many people as they possibly can. And multitudes, the scripture records, are being saved. Yet in all this good stuff that's happening in the life of the church in book, the book of Acts, we also see some other things are evident and are coming into play. And one of the things that comes into play very quickly in the life of the church is apostasy. Those who are apostate, those who are in the church, but they have denied the faith. They have preached a different gospel. They're coming with a different picture of Jesus Christ than what the apostles spoke of. And this is also gaining ground. It's in around uh, 70 AD, somewhere in se around 70 AD, that this epistle that we're reading, Jude, was written. In just 25 years, John receives, from this time, 25 years later, sometime around 90 AD, John goes to the Isle of Patmos and God pulls back the curtains of heaven and allows John to have visions of what is going to transpire in the future. That's why it's called the book of Revelation, Apocalypsis. It's the revealing of God, of Jesus Christ and the future. And in that picture, early in the book of Revelation, Jesus lays, that, lays out a letter for the seven churches that John is to literally take back and give to the messengers who will deliver that message to each and every church. Of the seven churches, listen, 25 years after the founding or the birth of, the, of, the church, of Jude's writing here and, and the birth of the church, already apostasy is alive and well. The falling away of people who no longer believe in God the way the gospel speaks of it. And, and in a short amount of time, five of the seven churches are beginning to turn their back to the gospel. If I were to tell you about some of those churches, we would look at Ephesus. The church at Ephesus, which Jesus said lost its first love. Within 25 years, a church loses its first love. The church at Pergamos is full of corruption, immorality, and heresy. We're going further. The church at Thyatira is so wicked to the Lord that he actually says he's going to kill some of them because what they're spreading is so contagious and so detrimental to the gospel. The church at Sardis is totally dead 
because of apostates who have left the faith. Laodicea, need I say much about them? The church in Laodicea made Jesus so sick to his stomach that he was willing to vomit them out. And so five of the seven churches in 25 years have already been uh, meshed and meshed with the apostasy of that time. We know that the church is suffering greatly. So Jude, when he speaks of this in 70 AD, God, the Holy Spirit, is giving him insight into what's going to happen. And that's why he says it's very important that we contend for the faith. Look what he says in verse 4, going back in Jude here. He says in verse 4, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. He calls them certain people. Three other times he calls them certain people. And he continues in that until he comes to verse 17. So the first 16 verses, Jude is addressing the character and the nature of false teachers, of false prophets. But then he comes to verse 17 and he says, but you... Now he's addressing believers, and he comes straight to the believers with who they are and how they are to live in this period of time that's coming that you and I now live in, where apostasy is rampant, where the church has lost her first love, where all kinds of immorality and indecency and licentiousness has filled the hearts of people who go to church. And he gives the church this forewarning, even though the church is not born yet. When Jude, he's, he's saying, look, I want you to be prepared for what's coming. They haven't seen the fullness of this yet. They've seen part of it, but not the fullness of it. You and I are seeing the fullness of it right now in this world. And there are so many who come in the name of the Lord, but preach another gospel. They add to the name of Jesus Christ, or they take from the gospel the parts that they don't like, and they preach a different gospel. Paul said in Galatians, if any man preaches any other gospel than the one I'm preaching, let him be anathema, cursed. He said, again, I say, even if angels were to change the gospel, let them be cursed. There's only one gospel, church, and in this day and age that we live, while there is a plethora of different belief systems regarding Jesus Christ. There is only one true and living God, and there's only one true gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to promote that. We have to see that for what it is, and we have to live by it. And so here we see, this is interesting, happy is the person who understands that the gospel message is profoundly simple, and also it's simply profound. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less, and nothing else. That's it. Last week we learned different examples of people who walked away from God's love. And then Jude gave us three explanations for why they walked away from the love of God. Today, Jude, as we finish out this book, Jude is going to give us three exhortations to keep the believer in the love of God. So Jude verse 17, let's pick up. All I want to do today is, is, is just take from the text what's there 
and teach you what the text is saying. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, the, the apostles had already warned the people of this coming generation and of the apostasy that will take place in and among the church. He, that why did they warn them? So that they would be prepared. Why do we study the word of God in this day? Because we see so many bad things happening in the world. Catastrophes taking place. Diseases. We see pandemics. We see earthquakes. We see hurricanes. And people, some are beginning to lose hope. They're losing faith. Listen, when we see these things, we should remember what the scripture says to us. If God didn't give us forewarning that these things were going to happen, then I would have to think that God has somehow been dethroned. Somehow another you know, coup took place in heaven and they literally took God off the throne and that's why I'm seeing everything I'm seeing. No, God gives us fair warning. What you're seeing is in the scripture. It's going to happen. Jude is trying to warn us of the things that will happen within the church that are not good. It's not so that you'll lose hope. You should know that God is giving you fair warning to what's happening so you can remain faithful to God even while the world around you, even while the church is being shaken and only those who remain are those who are truly saved. And so to the Ephesian elders, the apostle Paul said, you might want to write these verses down. I'll move quickly through them. Acts chapter 20, verse 28 through 31 the Ephesian elders met with the Apostle Paul right on the dock as he got off the ship long enough to give them a greeting and an exhortation. And then he got back on the ship and he's heading, of course, towards Rome. But he said, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Make sure you care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, listen what he says, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. They're not outside the church. They will come into the church. They will be among you. And from among your, excuse me, among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. They contort the gospel. They twist Jesus Christ and who he truly is. And they draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says in verse 31 of Acts 20, therefore be alert, remembering that for the three years that I did not cease to day or night to admonish each one of you with tears. It was also Paul who spoke to, Tim to Timothy in his letter in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. He said, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by, denote, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy 
by the word of God and prayer. He's calling the church back through Timothy. Please, Timothy, as you proclaim the gospel, know that people are falling away. They need to be reminded of what Scripture says. They need to be tethered to the word of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1, Paul goes on and says, but understand this, that in the last days, you say, what are the last days? The days between Jesus' first coming and his second coming. We're in the last days. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money. You're not seeing that on TV at all, are you? Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. That one needs to be repeated. Disobedient to their parents. We live in a day when authority in the home, authority for government, authority for law enforcement is out the window. It is a sad day when parents no longer carry authority in the home. When you don't have authority, when you don't submit to authority, that which is a, by the way, a God-given restraint. When you reject that God-given restraint in the home, all hell breaks loose with that child ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving God, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having, here's the apostasy in the church, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. These are the warnings, he says, but you must remember, church, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember that we were warned by the apostles of these things that are coming, and you and I are now living in the midst of these things. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, uh, Paul says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, he's telling young Timothy, who he's calling in who God has called into the ministry, he's giving this charge and he says this, here's what the charge is all about. This is what a man of God in the pulpit is all about. Preach the word. There is no other message for a pastor who stands behind a pulpit. And a pastor who steps out from behind the pulpit without his Bible is a dangerous pastor, don't sit under him. He ought to have his Bible out You ought to be teaching from the word of God, verse by verse, that people would understand what the Bible says. He gives one point. It's a one focus for the pastor. Preach the word. And then he, in case the pastor doesn't understand what he's talking about, he gives example of what it means to preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season, whether you feel like it or not, whether you think people will like the message or not. Preach the word. Reprove. Don't be afraid to correct people. Rebuke. Speak against evil. And exhort. Come on, encourage people on to righteousness. With compl- Do it all with, here it is, complete patience. See, there has to be a shepherd's heart behind that strong admonition to preach the word and teaching. You got to teach it. 
Don't expect people to know. Teach. Teach. For the time is coming, he says, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. I could call off the names of 20 of these ear-tickling preachers right now. And probably many of you are listening to some of them, not realizing that all they do is tickle your ear. They're giving you what you want to hear. Friend, let me just say this. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what God thinks. I don't read the Bible to try to find out how the Bible lines up with the way I want to live or the way I want to believe. I read the Bible that it might correct me and put me in line with how God feels about life. Amen? Now, I'm going to tell you right now, that right there is not popular today in churches. Because in churches, it's about nickels and noses. And if I say something that might offend people, we'll lose some nickels and noses. That's not the church of Jesus Christ. See, that's giving in to apostasy. That's the beginning point for apostasy. You're beginning to lead people astray away from the Scripture. Here Jude joins the apostles, and look at verse 18. They, who? The apostles said to you, in the last time, time between first and second coming of the Lord, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. What is he talking about? False teachers. They argue against the teachings and the doctrines of, of Scripture, and they do it through scorn and ridicule. Do you not see that today? Those who ridicule, who mock, who scorn, those who truly believe in the Bible. It's not just enough to, to disagree with the truth that you and I preach or that we teach or that we believe, but they have to also mock what we say, and they mock the very word of God. When they do that, they don't realize it, but they're mocking Jesus. Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. He's talking about those who are false teachers, false leaders, who are leading Christians into falsehood. They're trying to untie the Christian from that solid foundational mooring of the Word of God. You and I as Christians should be tethered to the Word of God in these days that we live. Don't let someone come along and start trying to untie you from the Word. If you know the Word, you'll be able to fight against that. And that's important, that we know the Bible. It is these who cause divisions. They cause divisions. Rather than uniting the church, they come in and fracture the church. But they do it in such a subtle way. On the surface, it looks like they fit right in, and boy, they're, isn't that guy great? Isn't she wonderful? Man, I really like them. But what they're doing underneath the surface is they are dividing the church. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul said, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any aff affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. For the church to be the church of Jesus Christ, we have to be unified on the foundational truths of the gospel. Amen? 
Don't let anyone separate you from what is true according to Scripture. He's, Jude is saying that these false teachers are, he says, they're worldly. They're worldly people. They're worldly-minded is what he's saying. They're, they are false teachers who advertise themselves as having some higher spiritual knowledge than anybody else. And that's how they attract you into what they're saying. They've got this fresh revelation from God. Let me tell you something. The revelation has already been revealed in the Bible. We don't need somebody else's interpretation that's supposed to be so fresh. What we need is the foundational truths, listen, that the apostles and the prophets in the Old Testament preach to us. Anybody who takes from that and goes a different direction is a false teacher. Be very careful. Be very careful. I actually said to someone this morning, uh, in a, they, they, they sent me a private message, and they said, oh, I want you to listen to this. They're not in our church, but they're just somebody who has followed some of the things that I've been writing. And they said, I want you to hear this. And it was this modern false prophet. And I had to say, I'm sorry, but that called him by name. He is a false prophet. And if you want, I'm more than happy to give you some examples of what I'm talking about from the Word of God, how it goes against what he teaches. See, we, we need to be on guard, church, because if you're not, you can be drawn into this and the church can be split. It's happened all over the place. These are sensual persons who live only for what they can get through the physical senses. They are selfish people. They are self-centered. They're self-serving individuals. Their motto is, if it feels good, do it. How can it be wrong if it feels so right? It's easier to ask forgiveness than to get permission. Christians laugh at that. We think that's cute. It's not cute to God when we manipulate and go behind someone's back and not get, it, get permission. But that's what they do. And they make it popular. And Christians follow them. They're self-focused, debased. That means worldly, fleshly, sensual. He says that they are devoid of the Spirit. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. If you don't have the Spirit, that means you are unregenerate. Your spirit's not been regenerated by Christ. And that, by the way, is the only way a person can be saved, if the Holy Spirit regenerates you. You don't regenerate yourself. You're in a dead state, spiritually speaking, until the Holy Spirit regenerates you. He says these guys are unregenerate. In James 3.15, by the way, James is another half-brother of Jesus, just like Jude. James says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above. This is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. See it for what it is. In Romans chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, speaking of those who have been regenerated by Christ, you are in the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So those who are devoid of the Spirit are not saved. Let me say it another way. Those who are in the church who push false teaching are not true believers. Even if they serve on a board... They are not true believers. Even if they sing on the platform, they shouldn't be singing on the platform, they are not true believers. 
Now let's go back to verse 4 in Jude. I want you to just be reminded again. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were, look at this, long beforehand marked out for this condemnation. From the beginning, God knew that these false teachers would come into the church. They were already marked for condemnation by God. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Not everybody who claims to be a Christian, not everybody who looks like a Christian, not everybody who talks like a Christian, not everybody who sings like a Christian is a Christian. These false teachers are deceivers. Their father is the greatest of all deceivers, Satan. They not, listen, they don't deceive, them, they don't disguise themselves by, by being sheep, impersonating, you know, impersonating other sheep. They disguise themselves as shepherds of sheep. They want you to think that they are a shepherd because they're all about sheep stuff. They're ravenous wolves. They plant seeds of doubt in the minds of believers. Jude doesn't have any, he doesn't want us to be fooled by them. He doesn't have any quarter for them. You and I just need to understand that Satan wants to attack. Look, it's, it's, it's not about just getting you to stop believing. A lot of times Satan's tact is, I just want to get you to question what you believe. And there are Christians today with all that's happening around us who are now starting to question, where's God in all this? Well, here's my response to you very simply. Did God not tell you that these things would happen? Now look, if he did not tell us that these things were going to happen and they start happening, you got to wonder if, if God's still on the throne. But the fact that he told you it was going to happen should reassure you God is firmly on the throne. I just need to trust God. Keep my focus on Jesus. Does that make sense? Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. That verse covers two very important uh, factors that we should consider as believers who walk through this life. First of all, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. And secondly, praying in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's deal with the first one. Our most holy faith is the sure foundation that we have in Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 3.11, Paul said, For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid. You're not looking for a foundation somewhere. It's in Christ. He's already laid it. Hold on to Jesus Christ. The foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He is your foundation. Where do we find this firm foundation in Christ? In the teaching of the apostles and the prophets. You find it in the word of God. Listen, church, in this day especially, we must be in the word of God. That's why we teach the Bible at Vero Bible Fellowship. That's why we do Thursday night Bible study. We want people to be in the word of God. That's why our ladies' ministry, the women's ministry, they teach the Bible that's why our men's ministry, they study the Bible. We must be in the Word of God. This verse covers those factors well. This is how we build our faith, by spending time in the Word. 
In Acts chapter 20, verse 32, we're going to be in Acts, so we're covering a lot of verses here that are in Acts, kind of whetting your appetite for where we're going. It's such an exciting book. But in Acts chapter 20, verse 32, Paul said to the Ephesian elders again, he said, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The word is what will get you through times of suffering and trial and question. The true foundation of a believer's life is Jesus Christ as revealed to us in the teachings of the Word of God by the apostles and the prophets. I don't need somebody else's take on it. Don't go to some YouTube video where some knucklehead is adding to the Bible as if he's got this incredible insight. You know what that is? That's called Gnosticism. Thinking that you have something that nobody else has. Remember what I said early in the message that the, word, the gospel is simply profound. Even a child can be saved. If somebody's sharing something and saying that you got to know this in order to really come into revelation of God and they tell you some deep and you know it's walking in the deep stuff really. Don't believe it. Jesus didn't give the gospel <coughs> to, be prof- to be difficult to understand. God didn't hide the revelation from the apostles. The prophets, there were mysteries the prophets didn't understand, but God spoke many prophecies to them. But you and I have the fulfillment in the word of God. We don't need to look for somebody else to come along and tell us what to believe. And then he goes further and he says, and praying in the Holy Spirit. I want to talk about this for just a second here. Uh, This verse is often mischaracterized as a call to some form of ecstatic prayer, some prayer language. But that's not what the Scripture says. That's what someone has interpreted it to say. They've taken other passages and tried to overlay it on this passage. That's not what this passage is talking about. We're talking about false teachers. We're talking about false prophets. We're talking about those who could lead you astray. So how do you come against that? You come against it by praying in the Spirit. We find the same phrase used in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, when it's talking about uh, putting on the armor of God. (laughs) In other words, when you have spiritual attacks. How do you come against a spiritual attack? In that verse, it says it a little differently. It doesn't just say pray, uh, pray in the Spirit. It says, It says, uh, praying at all times in the Spirit. It is is more likely that Paul is calling us to pray. Is it more likely that Paul's calling us to pray in tongues at all times (laughs) or praying in the will and the power of the Spirit at all times? By the way, this passage in Ephesians 6.18 is a wonderful passage because it introduces us to the a believer's prayer life, what we, how we should pray every day as believers. In fact, I'd like to take you through it. There's six things I want to say to you. It says this, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Praying at all times, that's a focus on the frequency of prayer. So how often should we be praying? Constantly. Pray in the Spirit. 
that focuses on the, here it is. It's not about an ecstatic prayer language. It's about, look, it's about submission of prayer. It's about praying prayers that line up with, the God, with God's will. That's what it's about. How do you fight against apostasy? By knowing the Word of God and then praying in the Word of God, praying the Word of God, lining up with what God's Word says in your prayers. And then he says, with all prayer and supplication. That focuses on the diversity of prayer. There's different things that we pray for. And then to that end, keep alert, he says. That's a focus on the manner of prayer. Pray with alertness. And then with all perseverance, that focuses on the tenacity of prayer. Press in. Keep praying. You say, I don't like the results. Keep praying. Don't ever stop praying. And then lastly, making supplication for all the saints. That focuses on the object of prayer. What should we be praying for in these days? We pray for those who are caught in apostasy. We pray for those who are sharing the gospel with those who are caught in apostasy. We should be praying for others. Prayer should not just be about you. You should be the last thing you're praying for. The first thing you pray for is to worship God. Just worship God in your prayer. And then you get to others. And then finally to you. <coughs> Verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Look what he says. Keep yourselves in the love of God. I love that. Keep yourselves in the love of God. How are we going to make it through this world and the troubles of this world? By keeping ourselves in the love of God. What does that mean? It means to remain in a place of obedience to Christ. That's where God's love can be, listen, can be enjoyed. God's love never ends, even if you sin. God still loves you, right? <laughs> But when you're sinning, you're not in the love of God. My daughter Lauren and her husband Graham are here today from Wheaton, Illinois. They're visiting with us this week and last week. And when Lauren was a little girl, I remember uh, Rini telling me that they were somewhere. And, uh, oh, and my brother Jay was evidently, he was antagonizing her a little bit, just playing with her. And she was just a little thing. And she looked up at Jay and said, Uncle Jay... You're not walking in love. You're not walking in love. You, you can sin, and God's love is still real for you. It covers you if you're saved. But don't think for a second that you're going to enjoy the love of God when you're in sin. That's the last thing you want to think about when you're sinning. So what does it mean here? to keep yourselves in the love of God. It means to put yourself in a place of obedience where God's love is poured out on his children as opposed to being in a place of disobedience where what comes to us? Chastening from the Lord. He chastens those whom he loves. He's still loving you, but he's going to discipline you because of your sinfulness. Keep yourself in the love of God. That's a choice that you have to make. It's where God loves God's love overflows from us and from God. We need to stay there. And then when we walk in disobedience, what does it do? It hijacks God's love for us. 
You can't love God and sin at the same time. They're opposites. To walk in the love of God, you've got to choose to keep yourself in obedience to his word. <laughs> Let me just say this. I've got a dry throat. I'm sorry. Uh, sinuses have, I've been, I've had sinuses my whole life. That's my thorn in the flesh. And it does keep me humble, believe me. Uh, it, it's interesting how we can become so focused on something other than Christ and we start drifting further away from him. Or we can make our focus Jesus Christ and we start moving towards him. When you and I are in sin, believe me, you're not moving towards God. That relationship is now more difficult to enjoy because of sinfulness. And what we need to do is put ourselves in a position where we don't have to be in disobedience. That's why we have men's ministry, women's ministry, because those are ways to guard and protect you, that you get involved in a women's ministry, Bible study, and there's other women like you who are just as capable of sinning as you are, but they focus in and they want to try to understand who God is, and they're seeking God together. You need that support system in your life. These young men that are with us from Teen Challenge, they're all together for a year and a half, I think. Why? Because, because there's accountability. There's support. It focuses them towards the things of God. And, and we all need that, amen? That's why we should belong to the local church. The, only the enemy would say to you, you don't need to go to church. Don't worry about church. That goes directly against what Scripture says. Don't forsake the assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. Stay in fellowship. Why? Because there's accountability in that. There's support in that. You need one another to be strong. Verse 21, latter part of the verse, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. That, that's a reference to God's great salvation which we receive through Christ and which leads us to our eternal home in heaven. All of that, every bit of it, Christ dying on the cross, the resurrection, our future in God, with God in heaven, but even our sanctification here on earth, all of that is a mercy of God. Aren't you glad for God's mercy, huh? You didn't get what you deserved. You got grace, which is more than you deserved. And you now have, in, you have inherited eternal life. And by the way, this passage refers to the perseverance of the saints. I want to close with this, which is the counterbalance to God's sovereign preservation of believers in Christ. <laughs> so the, the question is, how are believers able to endure to the end? Jude says there are three things that we need to do in order to per persevere to the end. Now, these things are not what saves a person. You're saved by grace through faith. It is a gift of God. Salvation is not works. You're not persevering so you can be saved. Rather, because you're saved, God is giving you these things that will help you persevere. Okay, so I want you to see these. First of all, write it down if you will. This is how believers are able to endure to the end. Jude says, first of all, by building yourself up in the word of God. We covered that already. Verse 20, build yourself up in the word of God. Secondly, by praying in the Holy Spirit, praying in accordance to the will of God, obedience to the will of God. Thirdly, 
by looking for the finalization of eternal life. Keep your focus on what's coming. This world right now is very ugly. And friends, it's not going to get better. Paul made it very clear that it's going to get worse. Keep your focus on eternal life, that you belong to Christ. Your identity is in him, and you are seated with him in heavenly places, Ephesians says. That's who you are. And heaven is your home. You're, you're, you're an alien in this world, an alien. This is not your home. Some of us in our flesh are very happy in our home. Wait till you get to heaven if you want happiness. Nothing like that, amen? So, in Matthew 24, 13, Jesus said, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. In other words, those who are truly saved will endure to the end. Those who are not saved, at some point, even though they say they are saved, at some point, they will fall away. Only the truly saved will persevere. Not that enduring to the end saves anyone, but the truly saved will endure. God will secure our perseverance. But to say that God secures our perseverance is not to say that we have some kind of a passive role in the process. He keeps us through our faith. Sometimes Scripture calls us to hold fast to our faith. Hebrews 10.23 and Revelation 3.11. Sometimes Scripture warns us against falling away in Hebrews 10, 26 through 29. But these passages don't negate the promises in Scripture that true believers will persevere to the end. We need to think of perseverance this way. It's the warnings and the pleas in Scripture about holding fast and warning against falling away that serve as a means by which God will secure and help us persevere in our faith. The whole time that you're being told to hold on, not to fall away, God is there doing it in you. It is God who does that. It's also important to recognize that these warnings and these promises in Scripture often appear side by side. It happens right here in the book of Jude. Notice in this letter, this is interesting, in verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God. And then look down three verses. Verse 24, he makes the point that it is God who is able to keep you from stumbling. Is that a contradiction? No. You are to walk by faith, hold on to the love of God. But God is the one who's actually doing the work of it in you by the Holy Spirit. Amen. It's not you. So the perseverance of the saints is both obedience to Christ and trusting in his promises. And the only ones who will trust and obey are those who are truly saved. If you're truly saved, God will keep you all the way to heaven. Amen. I don't have any doubt. I don't walk it up in the morning and worry about keeping my salvation. I am absolutely, eternally secure in going to heaven and being with Jesus for all of eternity. Hallelujah. I can celebrate that even now, knowing that I have sinned in the past, that I have sinned in the present, and I will sin in the future. My God has saved me completely and wholly. That is the faithfulness of God. That's what justification is. Just as if I've never sinned. That's how God sees me through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. I'm saved eternally. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a responsibility to be obedient, to not give in to sin, which only hinders my relationship, the sweetness and the joy that I have 
in my relationship. Amen. The baby's just agreeing with me. Praise God. Excited, happy. Verse 22, and having mercy on those who doubt. Jude says, have mercy on those who doubt. He's referring to those who are victims of false teachers who need mercy and patience because they're not yet lost for, for, for eternity. They're still within a firm reach. So be patient with them. Show them mercy. Continue to share the truth of the gospel with them. They can be reached. And then he says, later in verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. Now he's referring to people who are committed to the errors that have been given them by the false teachers. They need immediate attention before they become so entrenched in false teaching that they end up in hell. So we need to focus on them as well. And then he says, to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This third group needs to be given the true gospel. But he's actually speaking to the one who's going to share the gospel with them. He's saying when you share the gospel with them, which is the mercy of God given to all men. Listen, when you share it, be in fear that you too not fall into their deception. So even when you share, you need to always guard and protect yourself because the enemy is so subtle and so sneaky. That's why our verse here at Vero Bible Fellowship, our theme verse, 2 Corinthians 11.3, but I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve with his craftiness, that you might also be led astray from a simple and pure devotion to Christ. So when you're sharing with somebody who's completely saturated in a false teaching or, or even a cult, share with them, but guard and protect Walk in respect, knowing that you could be led astray. If possible, the Bible says Satan could even lead astray the very elect. Now, he can't. If it was possible, he would. It's not possible. And so you need to guard and protect even when you're sharing. Now we come to a beautiful benediction. It's a doxology, if you will. Here Jude returns to the theme of salvation, which remember in the very first part of his letter, he actually said, I set out to share with you the common salvation that we have in Christ. He wanted to talk about the joy of salvation, but then he must have received news or he saw something and he said, no, we're going to focus on contending for the faith. We need to focus on the false teachers. Well, now he comes back to what he thought he was going to be sharing to begin with. And he shares this wonderful doxology to bolster the courage of believers to know that Christ would protect them from the false teachers who would try and lead them astray. Look what he says in verse 24. I just want to read it for you. Now to him who is able. Well, who is able? Only God, right? God is able. That speaks of God's omnipotence, God's power. Satan can never uh, dethrone God. God is too powerful. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. So God is able to sustain you and keep you from falling into temptation of, of apostasy through the power of Christ. And to present you blameless before the presence of his glory. See, you and I as Christians possess Jesus Christ imputed righteousness through justification by faith and have been made worthy of eternal life in heaven. That is something that Christ has done for us. So he says, and to present you blameless before the presence 
of his glory. You're not blameless because you didn't sin. You did sin. You're not blameless because of your effort not to sin. Nobody can measure up to God's holiness. You are blameless in the sight of God by the imputed righteousness of Christ which was given you. And with great joy. I love that. You're going to be presented to God in heaven with great joy. Why? Because that is the overwhelming expression of heaven. Joy. Whatever suffering you're going through right now, whatever pain and heartache you're facing, whatever confusion, whatever you're facing in this world, listen, when you get to heaven, you will be overwhelmed in the presence of joy. Joy over the Father, joy over the Son, joy over the Spirit, joy over the believers who are there with you. In verse 25, to the only God, our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, authority, before all time and now and forever. Notice he said before all time. When God created in Genesis, that was not the beginning. That was simply the beginning of time. But he was eternal before time. And here he acknowledges that. All time and now and forever. Amen. You can count on God in the day that we're living. Amen? Let's pray. Father, this morning, what a joy it is to be in your word. What a joy it is to be reminded and encouraged by Jude's letter that while we need to be on guard and we need to pray in the Spirit, we need to understand the day that we live in, yet as believers we will endure to the end. True believers will endure. If someone's here today, Father, and they're wondering, am I a true believer? Will I endure to the end? There's only one way to make sure and that is to receive Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, to recognize that He is the Son of God who died on the cross, who gave us the imputed righteousness, His own righteousness, in place of our sinfulness, and who rose again from the dead. The power of God conquering death, hell, and the grave. The power of God who breaks the bondage of sin. And through Him and Him alone, we find a sense of endurance, and we find a sense of peace and joy. So we thank you for that, Lord, today. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 I want to invite the elders and the prayer partners to come forward and stand up front. Anyone this morning, as each week, who needs to pray, who needs to be prayed for, or maybe you want to pray for someone that's not here. We do have quite a few members who are still suffering right now with sickness and setback let's pray for them those of us who know them personally and maybe you want to come and have one of the elders or pat or uh, partners agree with you in prayer but let's do that now as we uh, close our service god bless each of you i pray that the lord bless you today and that he watch over you amen <laughs>